Hey, good morning, Life Point. In all the places that you are this morning, uh, we uh, welcome you here today. And uh, we're doing something kind of different. Steve and Evan kind of cowed me into doing this video format. And uh, so we're in, the, we're in the studio in the new worship center at Life Point. And so this is actually the first sermon from the new worship center. And uh, you get to be a part of it. So thank you for being here today. Would you bow in prayer with me uh, as we enter in this morning? Father, we thank you for a new day. We thank you that this is your day. Help us to keep this day holy. Help us to keep it set apart as you've commanded us. We worship you today for all that you are, all that you've done, continue to do in our church, in our families, in our individual lives. May you be glorified in us, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. We're especially mindful of your goodness to us during these uncertain days. Help us, Lord, to avoid griping and complaining. Teach us to be thankful for every blessing you send our way, whether large or small. We pray today during this COVID-19 crisis for the leaders of our nation, our state, and our local governments. We, we pray especially for President Trump, for Vice President Pence, our Surgeon General, and others who are leading the fight against COVID-19 at the national level. And we, we pray also for Governor Inslee and the governmental and health officials in our state and county as they make decisions regarding the public good here closer to home. And we, we pray for their counterparts all across our nation. The Father, you would grant them great wisdom and give them great insight and give them great patience and strength during these days. We pray for the doctors and the nurses and technicians who are working tirelessly, courageously, often putting their own health at risk to save lives. Watch over them, Father, we pray. We pray healing for those who are sick. Will you draw close to them during these days? Will you, Father, grant them that peace that passes understanding, that defies the circumstances of our lives? Show them your grace and your kindness. Draw them to your heart, we pray. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. May they know your comfort and may they turn their hearts and rest their hopes on you. Lord, we pray that you'll use this time of sickness and death and fear to bring about revival. We, we long to see our nation humble itself and genuinely reach out to you for forgiveness and for restoration. Strengthen your church, Lord. Show us how we can represent you well during these days. Replace our fears with your gifts of power and love and a sound mind, and may we learn more of what it means to be your church. And may we be faithful to care for each other well. Today, Father, we pray for Casey Biggs' father in Arizona who's struggling with his health. You know him, Lord. You know his thoughts and fears. You know the days that you've appointed for him. And we pray healing for him and peace for those who love him. We pray for Diane McKay's friend Amanda, that you might give her the miraculous gift of a full recovery from what she's been going through. Thank you for your grace toward Joshua Sidley and his family this week. Thank you that his broken arm is already on the mend. And we pray together for Ashley Seiler and the rest of the six-degree team as they're 
attempting to exit Togo before the pandemic reaches that country. Give them health and safety, we pray, on their return trip to the States. We pray also today for our sister church, Westwood Baptist, here in Olympia, as they're entering into a new transition. We pray your blessing on them. We ask that you'd bring healing and protect them from the ravages of the evil one in these days. Lord, as we turn now to your word, we, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and minds to receive and to understand what you have to speak to us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In our present series, Fulfilling Our Ministry 2020, Decisions for a New Decade, we're, we're considering what it would mean for us as a church to uh, continue to fulfill our ministry. Uh, in the next chapter of our life together, as we move, uh, soon we hope, uh, into our new building. As soon as the governor says that we can, we will. And uh, we're looking forward to that day. Over the, the past four messages um, in this series, I, I've, I've shared with you what I think are the first four decisions that we need to make together, individually, corporately, as a church, if we're going to fulfill God's plan and purpose for us in this generation. We'll need to decide that we're going to work in our worship, uh, that we're going to prioritize prayer, that we're going to mobilize mission and rethink relationships. And I hope that uh, if you've missed any of those messages, you'll go to mylpcoli.com or mylpclacy.com. Either one works right now. Click on resources and on the sermons tab, and, and you'll be able to listen to all of the messages and uh, if you want to, you can download messages to your personal device. This morning, uh, I want to talk with you for a little while about the fifth essential decision that I think we need to make for this new decade, which is that we will determine to disciple, that we'll determine to disciple and the goal is that everyone who is part of Life Point Church, everyone that's part of the family here, will be personally growing in a relationship of faith and love and obedience to Jesus Christ. And that each one will in turn consciously invest themselves in fostering the spiritual growth of others, whether it's one or many. So I want to ask you to join with me in thinking about three points that pertain to this subject. And they are the environment of disciple-making, the essence of disciple-making, and the expression of disciple-making in our ministry today. So first of all, the environment of disciple-making. And, and with that in mind, I want to talk a little bit about the the nature of spiritual growth itself. In his first letter to the Corinthian believers, Paul gave a simplified description of the nature of spiritual growth. Describing their spiritual development, Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. 
Paul was the first to preach the gospel to the Corinthians. It was he then who planted the seed of the gospel in their lives. Another teacher named Apollos came along and and through his ministry added some key ingredients that they needed to keep on growing spiritually. Paul described what Apollos accomplished as watering, irrigation, if you will. And then he added, but God gave the growth. You know, anyone who has ever planted a seed in the ground in hopes of growing a flower or a vegetable, anyone who has ever watered the soil in which the seed was sown realizes that the germination of the seed and then the cell multiplication that follows that and the growth to maturity to flowering to seed bearing and then to reproduction is in fact entirely beyond our control. I mean, we we can participate in the process, but the actual gift of life is not something any of us can bring. Only God can give the gift of life and growth. And the work of discipleship then, all of it, is, is a participation in and with the Holy Spirit to cultivate and nurture the life that God has already given to a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, until they reach the point of spiritual maturity and then spiritual reproduction. In Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Paul used a similar metaphor to urge the Colossians to keep on growing in their personal discipleship. Here's what he said. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving. Christ had been received as Lord. The seed of the gospel had germinated. And now they were to walk around, walk around in the gospel, coming to understand and experience the fullness of its blessings and its implications for their lives. And as they did that, Paul knew that their roots would sink down deep into Christ. They would become stable and growing disciples, established in the faith contained in God's word, and and their lives would be characterized by an overflow of gratitude and thanksgiving toward God. In a similar way, Jesus spoke to the other end of the process in John 15, When he said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. What was Jesus saying? He said that genuine discipleship would result in fruit bearing. In the New Testament, fruit-bearing describes two outcomes of the life of discipleship. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul describes fruit-bearing this way. He talks about the fruit of the dynamic 
presence of the Spirit of God in our lives that results in godly character. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here in John 15, Jesus seems to be pointing to a particular kind of spiritual reproduction. I think he's talking here about leading others in our lives to a personal faith in him. But here's something else I, I want you to understand this morning. Everyone can plant the seed of the gospel. Everyone can water it and fertilize it. And each of us needs to be part of the process. It has often been said, and I've said it myself, that disciple-making is a a life-on-life process. It happens in relationships. And last week, I, I talked about Jesus' discipleship of the Twelve, that it took place in a relationally intensive environment, up close and personal with him for a period of three years. Here's what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit as he promised he would. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit universalizes the presence of Christ in the life of every believer, in your life, in my life. And he now lives in each of us, and he's given each of us spiritual gifts that we are to invest in ministry to each other. In the New Testament age, it takes a, an entire church to make one disciple. Disciple-making is the work of the entire community of believers. Life in the Christian community allows a 360-degree, fully-orbed experience of all of the spiritual gifts all of the character of Christ, all of the gifts of Christ being brought to bear. Disciple-making in the church is is not just life on life, but it's life on life on life on life on life on life on life. Do you want me to continue now? On life. There are a lot of people today who, when they think of disciple-making, think of only one method, and they'll tend to champion their method as the best and the, the most effective. In fact, They can have such tunnel vision on the subject that if a church isn't practicing their favorite approach, they might go so far as to assert that disciple-making isn't happening at all. I've often heard this said even at LifePoint. For example, some people insist on one-to-one discipleship or mentoring, where, where one person pours himself or herself into the life of another. And that's a legitimate approach. Others claim that small group discipleship or a a classroom-based instructional model is really best, and, and both of those are legitimate as well. But what I find myself wanting to say on those occasions is that to insist on one or another as the best and most effective method is to fail to recognize the nature and purpose of the church as the body of Christ and the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You see, I believe that the church today needs a much broader, more holistic, comprehensive understanding of the necessity of the gifts of the Spirit 
being fully operative in the church and of the disciple-making influence of the whole Christian community. And so a full spectrum of methods is possible. But it is not this one method or that one method that results in fully developed disciples. Instead, it's the full engagement of, of every person in the fullness of the life of the local church over an extended period of time. Personal investment in the life of the whole church is both the means and the goal of spiritual growth. A fully developing disciple and a fully developed disciple will each be fully invested in the life and health of the local church. Well, let's move on to the next thought, and and that is the essence of disciple-making. There are versions of Jesus' commission of his apostles in each of the four Gospels, but the one in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is the one usually referred to and quoted as the great one, the great commission. In the period between his resurrection and his ascension from the a resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. Jesus had only one scheduled appointment. The now 11 disciples were to meet him on a hillside in Galilee. And during his conversation there on that hillside, he gave them uh, this great commission. We read in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In verse 18, Jesus established the why of disciple making. Here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've been given all authority up there, and I've been given all authority down here. There is no place where I am not in charge. Jesus Christ is supreme, unrivaled, unparalleled in his authority, and he alone is worthy of our worship and our obedience. The why of disciple-making is rooted in his authority. At the core of discipleship is the matter of coming to terms with the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's about submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the main reason that the the witness of the church in the world is, is weak today is that Christians have either failed or refused to acknowledge that to be a disciple is, is to give up all rights to your own life and to be totally surrendered and submitted to the authority of Jesus. In verse 20, Jesus issues the command regarding disciple making. The command is make disciples of all nations. 
command of disciple-making is to participate in the mission of the Holy Spirit in the world, to call out a holy people. Fully obedient to Jesus Christ from every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group on the face of the earth. Disciple-making is the essence of the mission of Jesus in the world. And attached to that command, there are three participles. And you say, well, I didn't think I was coming to English class. Bear with me. Those three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, or more literally, as you are going, gives us the context for disciple-making. Jesus wants to be about the work of disciple-making in the day-to-dayliness of our lives, wherever we are, wherever he may send us. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit describes the right of discipleship, R-I-T-E. The New Testament church knew nothing of an unbaptized disciple. It's, It's a contradiction in terms. Why? Because the Lord Jesus commanded that those who were willing to follow him, those who would make that commitment as his disciples, would publicly identify themselves with him. Baptism is that public identification. Baptism declares and dramatizes the truth that the old person we were has died, that we have been raised with Christ to newness of life. To determine to disciple then is to, to call every Christ follower to the obedience of baptism. Not as an end of, in itself, but as a declaration, as a rite of passage, if you will. And if you've not yet been baptized since you transferred your trust to Christ, you are possibly living in disobedience to this command. We would love to have the opportunity to, to baptize you in, in not too long a time. The third participle is teaching. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And that defines the means of disciple making. This word observe means essentially to obey. It can also be translated keep. For example, in John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. It's the same word. He it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. To to obey the commandments of Jesus is to love him. To love him is to obey his commands. To make disciples is to nurture believers in a life of increasing obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. A a disciple-maker, then, must also be characterized by that growing obedience to Jesus. Remember that discipleship at its core, 
is all about submission to the universal authority, the lordship, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Well, third, let's let's just talk briefly about the expression of disciple-making for our ministry today. At LifePoint, it's always been our mission to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And today we talk about it this way, that, that we're about helping people to find and to follow Jesus. So how will we go about that at LifePoint Church in this new decade? Well, I'd like to begin where I think God's Word begins. And God's Word tells us that the primary responsibility for discipling children belongs not to the synagogue, nor to the church, nor to the Christian school, but to parents. Paul wrote to parents in the church at Ephesus, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't put them down. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You know, many parents will reply to this with objections like this. Well, I lack the biblical knowledge to disciple my children. Or I don't know how to disciple my children. By the way, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Let me just respond to to those objections. First of all, I'm your pastor. It's my job to tell you what to do, or more precisely, what God wants you to do. So on that point, just be quiet. Secondly, the process of discipleship is ultimately more about showing than telling. Someone once equipped that the more lessons are caught than taught. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a definite content to the Christian faith that needs to be taught and learned, and and you as a parent should give yourself to learning it. But my point is this, like a vine on a trellis, as your children grow up in your home, they will be trained to the priorities and the pursuits and the patterns of your life. They will be your mini-me's in ways that will equally delight you and horrify you. So here are some questions each of us as parents need to answer. Have you made it your goal to lead your children to personal faith in Jesus Christ? Are you growing in your own walk of faith and obedience to Jesus? Are you actively engaging in behaviors visible to your children that that lead to spiritual growth? Things like regular church attendance, participation in a small group for spiritual encouragement, reading your Bible, reflecting on its meaning to you and maybe memorizing and studying and engaging responsibly and consistently in in a place of ministry, sharing your faith with others, inviting them to, to come and see and come and meet Jesus. Are you making sure that your children are in Sunday school or youth group 
every week so that they can have the opportunity to get to know God's word and develop a biblical worldview and and respond in faith themselves to Jesus? Are you sharing with your children what you are learning, allowing them to share with you what they're learning and, and discussing it together? Let me be really candid about something. You know, we practice something at LifePoint called child dedication, which is as much or more the public, visible dedication of Christian parents to to raise their children to know and to love and to serve Jesus Christ as it is the, the dedication of the children themselves to the Lord. On most occasions, I'm pretty confident that the parents really do intend to fulfill their commitment. They're, they're going to give it their best shot. They're going to, they're going to commit themselves or engage themselves. They're, they're going to be in the game in terms of raising their children in the Lord. But you know, there, there have been other occasions when I've wanted to say, are you really going to do this? Because if you're not, then, then we're going to look like a bunch of insincere phonies simply going through a meaningless ritual. And frankly, I'd, I'd really rather not be part of it. So I remember someone saying that most parents give their children just enough exposure to the church and to the gospel to inoculate them against it, but not to catch the real disease. I truly hope that that description will never fit you. Discipling your children, raising them to know, love, and serve Jesus is the most important and challenging endeavor of your lifetime. Sometimes it will feel like it takes everything you've got and more. But here's a clue. God didn't design this responsibility so that only the spiritually elite can accomplish it. If you will dedicate yourself to the process, you can do it. But here's what God said through Moses to all of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I think what God through Moses is describing here. It's simply a lifestyle of of talking about God's word with our children in the day-to-day of our lives at teachable moments when they get up in the morning, maybe at lunchtime if they're home, uh, in the evening before they go to bed, and, and really at the dinner table to talk about God's word together and, and what it means Moses also describes here creating a 
an instructional environment in the home, and I'm not talking about a classroom set apart for homeschooling. That's, that's something totally different. But I think Moses was really talking about creating an environment in our home where, where kids are exposed to Scripture all the time. They're, the Scripture's written on the walls. It's on posters. It's in framed pictures. It's being played uh, through the music that you listen to in your home. There are a lot of ways to get God's Word into the hearts and minds of our children. I've asked Pastor Steve in the coming year on our new campus to, to provide increased opportunities for parent training, marriage and family enrichment, uh, offering uh, parents in our church specific tools and encouragement and support for, for fulfilling their responsibilities in the lives of their children. Well, I need to land this plane, but for us here at Life point. To determine to disciple will mean that, first of all, that, that we recognize the disciple-making influence of the home, and, and we want to become a church that, that you as parents can regard as a source for teaching and for guidance and for training and for encouragement, for resources for your role in the lives of your children. It will mean that we recognize the disciple-making effect of life in the community of believers so that whatever you do, however you serve, you're having a disciple-making influence because you're part of the church family. This morning I received a call from my friend Bill Mikesell who who just called to see how I was doing, to encourage me, to pray with me, to share some scripture with me, to laugh with me. And when I talk about life in the community, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Those moments of encouraging one another, strengthening one another, being there for one another, praying for one another, modeling the life of Christ for one another. To determine to disciple also means that, that we will continue to offer things like Sunday school and classes for children, youth, and adults where, where people of all ages are engaging together in studying and learning from God's Word. We'll, we're going to continue to offer life groups and hopefully special interest groups, men's and women's groups, men's and women's Bible studies, youth group, and, and lots of other pretty normal things. But most fundamentally, it has to mean that those of us who do each of these things see our role as being disciple-makers. If, if your perspective, if your attitude is that you do what you do only for the sake of performing a service, only filling a slot, or doing our thing one day a week and being disengaged for the next six days, then, then you're not, you, you won't be nearly as effective as God expects you to be. We have to think of ourselves as, as making a long-term investment in the lives of those God has given us to influence for his kingdom. So whether you're teaching Sunday school or leading a life group or, 
or a special interest group or you're involved in men's or women's ministries or you're involved in worship ministry or you're a greeter or you're working in the kitchen or if you're doing any other kind of ministry, if you're doing anything at all, remember that you are influencing others within the church. You're making disciples by by being present and allowing Christ to express himself through your life. And that's my prayer, that we would determine in every corner of our church to make disciples. Thanks for listening this morning. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your call on our lives to make a difference in the lives of others for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, may it be true that everyone at LifePoint is engaged on that spiritual growth curve and that everyone at LifePoint is also engaged in helping others to grow. That you may be honored in us. That Christ may be formed in us. That the world would see Jesus in us and hear the gospel and believe and be saved. Lord, would you bring these things to our hearts and minds. And Lord, would you manifest your presence with all of us during these days. And Lord, we pray that it won't be long, that we'll all be together again. We love you, Lord. Amen.